Blog Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Eric and Philip live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Aloha. Tonight on BC Radio Live, we've got a couple of authors to talk to. First, we'll be talking with Barry Liebert, author of Barack, Inc., Winning Business Lessons of the Obama Campaign. And about uh, half an hour from now, we'll chat with Carol Ward, author of Find Your Inner Voice Using Instinct and Intuition Through the Mind-Body Connection. Today is Wednesday, March 18, 2009, and this is BC Radio Live. Chat room is now open at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. The live video feed uh, is now running. I'm Philip Wynn, button pusher for BC Radio Live and chief geek at BC Magazine. And I'm joined tonight by BC Magazine's founder and publisher, Eric Olson. Good evening, Eric. Good evening, Philip. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Of course, uh, Lisa is not doing very well. She's, she's ill tonight, and that's why it is just the two of us. Normally, we are joined by Lisa McKay. Um, but not this week. <laughs> well, she's had a she's had a rough period there with her yeah. uh, brother-in-law. Uh, what was it? A stroke? I think it was uh, an aneurysm. Yeah, aneurysm. And uh, no, that caused a lot of concern and consternation. And now I guess she's not feeling all that well. And we've been Indeed. super busy trying to really focus on. Day by day by day now, we're we're functioning like a like a real corporation, paying attention to to how many stories we publish on a daily basis, and not just sort of saying, "Oh, this is a pretty good week. Oh, this wasn't such a great week. Oh, this is a great week." Uh, but we're uh, we're into that micro uh, wagging the working underpaid editors that uh, every day counts. You know, one one brief note before we uh, we speak to our our first guest. Uh, this is actually the day between South by Southwest Interactive, which is a big geek festival in Austin, Texas, and South by Southwest the Music Festival, which begins, I believe, tomorrow. So, so basically, from last Thursday or Friday through last night, there were uh, you know every geek in the world was in Austin, Texas. Uh, I was there actually on Sunday, so I got to hang out with a bunch of geeks. And then uh, beginning tomorrow for the next, I think, 11 days, something like that, there will be, you know, hundreds and hundreds, over a thousand maybe uh, bands playing, you know, day and night in Austin, Texas. It's it's quite an amazing collection of, of interestingness. So uh, a shout out to everybody at South by Southwest. I'm, I'm just three hours up the road from you guys, but uh, uh, too busy to make it down for much more than Sunday. Yeah, I haven't been myself uh, since it was a, a a pretty sleepy little personal affair way back in the early '90s, and none none of the, it was just the music. It was none of the none of the other activities, the interactive and the film, and on and on and on. And and I mean, literally, mm-hmm. people there, you know, pretty much knew each other at least by face, and it was uh, it was you know, people were sleeping in each other's. You know, there's, it's a big, big musical community, of course, which is why it got started there. But, uh, you know, I mean, visitors from out of town are staying at musicians, you know, in their living rooms. And, and it was mm-hmm. it was a vastly more informal affair. It would be really interesting to get back. It's too bad I haven't been in so, so long. But it's just always 
always seems to be too busy and too much going on and it's actually become pretty expensive because it is such a high yeah. demand thing you got all kinds of people like you said it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bands we were talking we were twittering uh earlier which i i guess i'm pretty well in the habit of now um i'm i'm still trying to figure out how everything works but i guess i have the i at least have the habit down which is i imagine ultimately the most <laughs> Important aspect. That's a lot of it right there, yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, we're just wondering, you know, if you sat down with the schedule, how, what is the maximum number of bands you could oh, actually yeah. see? You know, I mean, and see their whole set. You can't just run around. You got to watch, you got to see the whole set. So, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. There's so many venues, there's so many bands. And, I mean, every year we see it just from a, a kind of an anecdotal standpoint where, you know the press releases for it just you know, yeah they're just endless you know starting about a month before but picking up steam week by week till the week before and now here we are just a day or two before uh or a day before it's uh i mean it's a vast enormous number so much so that people you know are commenting god how could there be so many but everyone has their bands there i mean if you don't have a band there and if you're a label or a PR person or whatever, I mean, you basically don't exist. You know, it's funny. Um, yeah, South by Southwest has been going for about 30 years, but only, I mean, I don't know when exactly it, it, it happened really, but o only over the last 10 years from what I'm hearing is when it has really turned into, you know, a business. People realized there was, uh, there was much work and much money that could happen here, much work that could be done. And uh, it's become a business, which which actually you know leads to the interesting subject of our our first book tonight. Uh, the book's called uh, Barack Inc. Winning Business Lessons of the Obama Campaign. You might wonder what uh, what a political strategy would have to do with business, and of course uh, that's what we'll find out. The uh, website is barackinc.com, so that's B-A-R-A-C-K-I-N-C.com. And the author, or the co-author of the book, is Barry Liebert, and he is here with us tonight, right now, to talk to us about it. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Barry. Thanks for having me this evening. All right, Radio Voice, we like that, man. <laughs> You're kind. We we dig that. That's that sounding all radio-y. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I I think you were on the line. You probably heard me mentioning it. I have the book, and I've been looking at it. Uh, as always, I don't get to these things till late, but uh, I've actually been looking through it quite a bit today, and uh, it's it's really fascinating. It it goes beyond kind of the probably the the surface things. Uh, you know, there've been 101 probably more you know Obama related books since the election or around the time of the election, but uh, I I think you're very well situated from the social networking angle. I think that really is the defining element of of what is fundamentally different about the Obama campaign. We've had plenty of charismatic people before. We've had even reasonably well organized people before. <laughs> I'm not sure who they were. But but you know, the the social networking aspect of it like as you as you stated in the the intro, I mean the the campaign itself was just like one national social network pulling together and it really was an amazing thing of beauty whether you were for him or not i think that's right it's the, the book and i think his campaign um really speak to the change in leadership and the use of technologies to create um, what you might argue is the historical grassroots campaign but today that's an online environment and it's more than that it's a personal environment so 
I think people have, under, have not fully understood the fact that he made it personal by using these social technologies to connect with 13 million people individually just with uh, MyBarackObama.com, his personal community. It is amazing. Why don't you tell uh, the listeners just to give us some uh, your background about your company and 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 uh, you know how you have this pretty special insight into that campaign, and then uh, you know we'll just we'll talk about some of the things you found out or the insights that you have in terms of what is applicable from the campaign uh, to business people. Well. The, my my back. I'll start with that question first. Is I started um, our company Mazinga in 2001 um, as a business to connect. Um, I'll call them adults and businesses, other than Facebook and MySpace, which I'll call it for kids and individual use. Our business was to connect businesses with their customers and employees online using the internet, using social technologies. Today, we're about 200 customers, about 14,000 corporate communities, about 70 million unique visitors a month, and about 14 million registered users, and our clients span everything from Microsoft to ABC and to ESPN and Sports Illustrated. And so in, in the last eight and a half years, I mean, adults finally understand, like you're talking about South by Southwest, understand the power of the network, and that means the online network as much as the physical network. Well, sure, because... The online network is the only way that you can transcend time and space. You know that's a pretty that's a pretty important factor there. You know you can only be in one place at one time, but with the internet and and with these networks, uh, you can you really can uh, at least give the illusion anyway of of interpersonal relationships with people at in real time all over the world. Uh, I think it's more than just an illusion. I mean, you, my kids are 19 and 21, and for them it is their reality that they are um, – their online network is the network my parents created physically using what I call interstate highway systems. They would get in the car and go visit their friends. And my generation, I'm in my 50s, um, use – and we forget this – use the phone. They used to say, stop gabbing on the phone. Well, the only difference between my parents driving around and my generation gabbing on the phone is that they're doing it online, and it's just a more efficient, more effective way than either of the two predecessor mediums. And so it's as real to them as those two mediums were for us, myself and my parents. It's a lot cheaper, too. A lot cheaper, a <laughs> lot more efficient. And my kids would tell you, and I would say my businesses are realizing this as well, better in many ways because you can connect all the time on whatever terms and conditions you want versus the physical world you have to get in a car get in a plane get in a train it's expensive hard to do and really very difficult way to communicate well it it's it's a total commitment you know um, whereas if if you're good at multitasking as 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 those darn kids seem to be i i'm 21 year old too and 24 and 9 and and uh, the, you know they're real good. Uh, I'm seeing it. It's really interesting to see it in real time. I, I, I'm seeing it. I've seen it develop in the nine-year-old because she's just about the right age to have you know come along while this stuff's going on. And just to see her skills as she and she's not like super techie or anything, but you know she'll uh, she'll play video games. She knows how to do it. She it's easy for her. My my wife just got us both uh, blackberries. Man, I haven't even. I had to figure it out yet. It's just it's way too complicated. I'm gonna have to sit down with the instructions and and just go through everything. My wife has it sort of half figured out. Well, my daughter just picks the thing up. She 
finds the internet connection, boom, on, she's there. She's messing around with it, flipping around. She has no fear of it. And I'm I'm there's there's areas of, of electronics that I like and I'm comfortable with. I like audio and video. I'm not I'm not afraid of that. But I realize I still have there's still areas and I it's probably kinda the whole uh, computer slash communication side of things, where I'm, I, you know, I don't want to break anything. I'm, I'm as concerned about that. So it's, it's really interesting to see the kids, um, and in this case, I'm talking about a, a nine-year-old, just how how facile she is and how easy it is for her, and how intuitive it seems to be. Uh, it is natural for them. It is as natural for them, um, and I try to say to everybody as it is for you and I to be on this phone today. And the only difference is Graham Bell invented this phone a long time ago, and the car is quite old technology, too. For them, it is their medium of communication and for interaction and for, I hate to say it, creating friendships. And so um, the only difference is that what Barack realized, it is also a medium for doing real business, and he raised $750 million in less than two years, using this medium as a fundraising mechanism as well. What do you think he? What 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 did he fundamentally grasp differently? There's been plenty of politicians who've tried to use the internet, um, you know, and those who who claimed to be proficient and whatnot. But you know, I I, I mean, I think pretty well everyone agrees, other than perhaps those politicians, that you know, Obama's campaign was just a whole a whole quantum leap. How, what did he grasp, and how did he do it? differently and why was he so successful well i think he understood something that very few people understand that business and government is personal and that ultimately donald trump is wrong when he says don't take it personally it's just business and he understood that no matter what you do it's a very personal matter so example when you sell someone a bad product it's personal when you deliver bad financial results it's personal when you fire somebody it's personal and when you lead badly and destroy $20, billion, $20 trillion in the economy, it's highly personal to every one of us. So he tried to make his campaign personal versus John McCain and Hillary Clinton, who didn't understand that. The second thing he understood is that you can, once you make it personal, you become social in those interactions. And he used social technologies to turn those personal connections into social connections. And the third thing he did is he realized that it had to be about you, not about him. So John McCain kept arguing about it was about him, the change agent. For, for, for Hillary, she didn't have a posture around this. For Barack, he kept saying, change you can believe in, change we can believe in, not change I demand of you. So three major things. He made it personal. He used social technology to connect on a very social and personal level. And then ultimately, he made it about others, not about I, I agree with you, especially on that last part. I think it, it's it's so interesting because there are people like my mother, for example, who think he is just an absolute egomaniac. But, but, uh, and maybe he is, but he was able to present it in such a way that his whole movement was about the movement. It wasn't about him. And and I bought it. I mean, I I, I believe him that he is feels. You know, humbled by the response that he has received, by the fact that he got this kind of was able was able to to draw, be the magnet to draw this volume of people and and with the fervency of so many of them to himself. Uh, I, I buy it when he says that he is humbled by that, and it's not about him. He's just 
he's just sort of the catalyst uh, for all this. So whether ultimately deep down it's true or not, he convinced me, and I, he convinced an awful lot of people. And, uh, you know, in politics, I imagine that's as, that's as good as the real thing. I suppose it is the real thing. I, I think it is. Given, let's assume for a second your mom is right. It's all been about him. Not that I would necessarily agree with that. Uh, even if it was, he's smart enough to at least express it as being about you, right? And, and, and so as long as he does that and continues to do that, we'll all feel a lot better. So let's assume for the time being that he doesn't really mean it. At least he says it versus every other leader like Rick, Rick Wagner from GM who calls all of his customers and prospects stupid for not buying their car, suggesting that customers don't understand that GM produces a good car while he's driving his own jet and taking a $25 million salary. Personally, I think customers are smart. They know whether or not you know, GM produces a good car or not, and they vote with their pocketbooks, and they voted no. And so, therefore, the fact that Rick Wagner somehow thinks that we don't know what we're doing as customers, I think, is a fallacy. And so he, Barack, makes it personal, accepts people's realities. He's humble in his approach. And he would never say what Rick Wagner says, which I won't take a reduction in my $25 million salary because customers make a mistake. He says just the opposite. I will do it the way you want me to do it to fundamentally give the nation back to you. And many people don't like that, especially the wealthy. And I don't like either paying more taxes, but it's the right thing to do. And I'm thrilled to bond to pay more taxes in the future. If it's well, one of, the thing, one of the things that Barack seems to understand that Wagner doesn't is that, you know, you describe it as, you know, be cool to build your brand. And maybe it's a little bit different when running for the president because your brand is yourself. But, I mean, I think, I think there are a lot of people, especially a lot of people my age or younger, I'm in my 30s, um, who, 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 you know, Rick Wagner's statement about people being stupid and, and all that, that's part of the brand of GM now. I, I'm less inclined to buy a GM car. It has nothing to do or not everything to do with the car itself. It has a lot to do with him. Absolutely. So the leaders, whether the leaders want to accept this or not, are essentially reflections of their organizations. And so although we revere, you know, Donald Trump for, and I think it's a terrible message, for you're fired, right? I think the reality is when people say Barack is not a traditional leader, he's a community leader, I'm thinking, wow, that's fantastic. The first ever leader who understands that every business is nothing other than the sum total of their community, whether it be community of employees, community of customers, community of investors, and why not treat them like a community? Rick Wagner sees them as stupid customers, and that's too bad, and I'm sure he doesn't feel any differently about his employees, given he won't take a cut in his $25 million salary, despite the fact he takes 15 or $14 billion from the government and asks for more. So my view is, aren't we lucky that we now have a leader, a man among people, who's a community leader, who's going to be sensitive to 300 million people in America? Wow, cool. Yeah, uh, poor GM, uh, and I don't think it's just GM. I think I think uh, being I'm in Cleveland, so I'm, you know, not all that far from Detroit, and there's a lot of lot of automotive here, or at least <laughs> used to be. And uh, I really do have the sense that, that that is an underlying issue or an underlying uh, attitude of the entire American uh, automaker uh, community. It's that people are stupid not to buy our cars. What's wrong with these people? You know, there's really a sense of entitlement, and I think that's, that's been as much a, 
uh, at the core of their downfall as you know whether or not they happen to be on a roll uh, with with the the vehicles at any given point in time. You know, it wasn't all that long ago that people were perfectly thrilled to be uh, sucking up the SUVs and the, and the minivans. Absolutely. And so I think that first construct of doing what's in it for others is a really new construct for our leaders. The second one is, can you imagine how many cars, I'm going to use GM because it's an easy target to pick on, but um, I know a lot about the industry because my family's been a car dealer for a long time. Um, can you imagine how many cars GM has sold since, say, you know, 19, early 1900s and how big a community they could have made and created, both online and in person? And think about they could have offered a loyalty program, buy four GMs and get the fifth one for free. Now, people can laugh at that. Instead, they didn't do that, and they have very few customers left, right? Everybody's beating them on a global scale. And so if they had really thought of their customers as fans or alumni or members or an association for which they cared about, they wouldn't be in the state they're in today. So Barack understood that he had a fan club, and why not have um, Obama girls support him? I mean, there is no GM girl supporting Rick Wagner, and that's because there's too much anger about Rick Wagner's lack of sensitivities. So he built an online community, whether it be on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or his own, MyBarackObama.com, that allowed his fans to have a voice. I mean, how really fantastic is that? And every company can do that. So taking these these um, these insights, then – uh, on a really practical basis, uh, you know, let's let's scale it down to a, a, a smaller company. Uh, you know, just uh, any any old medium size or or small business that that ultimately is the you know the backbone of our economy. Uh, what specifically should um, should they what what should they be picking up out of this? What what are actual uh, behaviors that you would like to see them take? Well, I think I think that every company, and I mean every, let's just say every leader of every organization. I don't care if it's your local church, if your local car dealer, your local medical practice, your local dry cleaner, has to do really three things really well if they're going to learn from Brock. One is how to be cool. I always say, you know, it's fun to go on a joy ride, you know, um, at your local theme park that is as a roller coaster, you know, at your local Six Flags Park or Disney World. But not at home, not in the world of finance, not in the economy, not in business. Let's keep that for the joy rides. And what Barack taught us all is to basically be cool under pressure, be collected in your thoughts, and be consistent in your conviction to your vision. Number two is accept the fact, as no matter what small or big business you are, that you do have a community of constituents that care. If they're willing to spend their hard-earned dollars buying your product or investing in your company or employees spending the time working for you, they're a community that wants to belong, and you need to make it personal and social for them, which means you need to build social networks that connect them. And the third thing is, and this is the hardest thing for leaders, it's no longer about leaders. Leaders need to know how to become followers. They need to how to become community professionals, and that is to provide structure but to let other people begin to fundamentally take the reins and make it about them. Three hard lessons, but three that will produce real success in the local and large business. Well, that's Very a great note. Yeah, that's a great, great summation and a great way to wrap up. The book is called um, Barack, Inc., Winning Business Lessons of the Obama Campaign. Uh, you can actually check it out at barackinc.com. There's a link there to buy the book. You can do it at Amazon. 
at Barnes & Noble. There's all kinds of information. You can uh, join the Mazinga community. They've even got links to Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. They're obviously, uh, you guys are eating your own dog food, so to speak, and that's always good to see. And uh, thanks for spending time with us tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me today. Very interesting. Thanks for having me. Well, there we go. Uh, you know, I, I think it's really interesting to think about it as a generational a generational point. We've got a, a few minutes here to, to, to follow up. It's really interesting to think about it as a generational point, Eric. I, I, I tend to forget that you and I are of, of different generations when it comes to technology. It's not just a you know, temperament thing. I guess I've been a geek since I was born, but, uh, you know, there, there, there are a couple of decades that separate us. There. Not quite a couple of decades, but, you know, enough time that it actually makes a difference, doesn't it? Uh, well, yeah. You know, 10 years is, is, is basically certainly a generation in terms of, uh, in terms of lifestyle and, and the way technology works. And, yeah, I mean, you know, I started using the the internet uh, in the mid '90s. You know, when I was when I was uh, what, you know, 35. That's a very different mm. time to start than uh, than you know, well, teens or 20s or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah but uh, I, I remember being online. It wasn't the internet yet so much as FidoNet and other things. But I remember being online. Learning about online culture and dealing with, uh, you know, the the things that many of the same issues deal with today on the internet. Uh, you know, when I was twelve, thirteen, fourteen. I think an even bigger difference, though, is the uh, mobile phone. Uh, I, you know, yeah. I've never really, really been particularly comfortable with it. Never used it extensively. Basically, when I travel or you know, for convenience sake, in the car. I, I've, I've never even come close to to tapping into all the you know all the other layers of of um, app of apps uh, as it were mm-hmm. all the other uh, various tools uh, that that the you know you can't even call it a phone anymore that that handset thing uh, you know affords and like I said we we just got the um, these blackberries, blackberries. And, and I mean I'm looking at it. I haven't looked at it closely yet, uh, but you know, just looking at it and handling it uh, and whatnot—I mean, it's just really pretty alien. I mean, I know basically I, I do and have done uh, pretty much you know all the main functions at least in other ways, either through my computer or you know using some other tool. So uh, you know, once I see the 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 gains, once I see the benefit, or once I'm in the habit of it, then you know, I'm I'm sure it'll be fine, but it's definitely not something that comes real easy or intuitively intuitively to me, and it's not something I'm excited about like I am when, when I'm dealing with uh, audio or video sure. stuff. That it's like, oh, I'm all excited. I can't wait to dig into it. I I like reading the instructions. I like setting it up. I like fiddling with it. I like twisting uh, speaker wire. You know, I mean, not always, but uh, but most of the time I do, and it's something you look forward to. It's something right, I that, feel comfortable with. That, that's what I find most interesting is that you are in no way, shape, or form a technophobe at all. Uh, I, I actually often think that you're you're better with technical issues than you let on on occasion. But yet there is that that culture gap 
you know. I mean, my, my 11-year-old daughter is, is very disappointed that I won't get her an iPhone, so instead she wants an iPod Touch. I mean, you know, because then she doesn't have to pay the monthly fee. But, I, I mean, my kids are asking me every day. My 8-year-old wants, wants, you know, to play with the iPhone. And I'm telling you, it would be a minute and a half between when I handed them a phone of their own and they'd be text messaging their friends, surfing the web, doing, you know, using it to its utmost, utmost, you know, ex the extent of its capabilities. It's just amazing to see. I mean, I, I consider myself pretty savvy, but I, I don't even know where my kids are going to be when they're 30, uh, however old I am, 37. So, well, anyway. you can, you can, and it goes the other way too. You know, my dad has been uh, having to, you know, quote unquote, figure out how to use a computer since he retired. You know, he was an executive right. at TRW. He didn't have to do any of that, any of it for himself, you know. Right. He had a Secretary. he had a very attentive, very protective, <laughs> very maternal secretary who did everything for him. Wrote, you know, he he'd write an email. If he's sending an email, he wrote he wrote it out by hand and handed it to her. You know, I mean, you talk about now it sounds just sounds like an absurd waste of time. But right, right. that's the way it was. Okay, so he retired. Uh, I mean, we're talking, you know, oh, well over ten years ago now. And uh, well, actually, it is about ten years ago, I guess. And um, and you know, he had to learn how to do all this stuff for himself. Well, he so he's been. I mean, he figured out how to do the email, and he knows how to surf the internet. But I mean, there is nothing else the, about the computer after ten years that he has figured out for himself. You know, yeah. not a dumb guy by I'll, any means. I'll tell you this though. I'll tell you this though. My mother has a Facebook account, and that's where I think, you know, that this this idea in Barack Inc. It's not just the future because the younger generation, the twenties and unders, are, are part of this. It it is spreading. My 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 mother's in her you know late fifties, mid fifties. I don't know. I'm I'm not going to do the math. Mom, don't hurt me. Um, and uh, late late fifties. You know, and she's finally on Facebook. She's getting into this. Uh, she's she's not ready for Twitter yet, but probably pretty close. So it's it's just around the corner. You know, getting up. Well, you're twittering. I. Yes, I, <laughs> against, I am. Well, you know, will, I mean, this but, is also my job, and I'm I'm there. Yeah. I'm in on it. I'm, I you know, I I am I have been comfortable with the internet itself for. Mm -hmm. A long, long time. You know, exactly. I mean, that's how I started using it. I was a writer. I used it to do research. So uh, I, I was very good early on, you know. I mean, I had more skills than most early, very early on at search and whatnot because I had to figure it out. And it wasn't right. that easy back then, I'm, as I don't have to tell you. You know, there wasn't Google, and none of the other search engines were remotely as good or as efficient, yep. that, you know, certainly back then. Yeah, and I mean, get, I had to piece yeah. together all this information, you know, um, that I was trying to round up. See, what you need is an iPhone instead of a BlackBerry, but I guess that ship has sailed for now. Anyway, uh, BC Radio Live is a production of blogcritics.org and is broadcast weekly at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Uh, with Eric Olson, I'm Philip Wynn. Our next guest is the author of a book called Find Your Inner Voice, Using Instinct and Intuition Through the Mind-Body Connection. She is a licensed psychotherapist as well. And let's go ahead and bring her on the show. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Carol Ward. Hey, how are you? 
Doing very we well. are super spectacularly great. How are you? I'm oh, well. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can link instinct and intuition <laughs> with the internet topic. I think I can, but we just have well, to, you know. There, there, you know what I was company. just thinking? That is so funny that you would say that. I was just as I pick, you know, I'm putting down the first book, the Barack Inc. book, and picking up your book. Uh, I, I was just thinking somehow that is that is very apt. Yeah. There's a there the connections aren't extremely obvious. In other words, the topics aren't exactly the same. But I think some of the underlying issues are very much the same. Very much so. I mean, I think we're all trying to figure out how to remain connected to ourselves and also during during this time connect to other people in whatever form. But I think that connection to self is really really key amidst everything that's happening now and will be happening for the future with technology and, and the economy and all of that. Know thyself. Yes. Because <laughs> I own self be true. And that as well. Yes, I'm yes. feeling very Randian now. <laughs> in a positive way. In a positive way. Not in that removed way, but in a positive way. Yeah. No, I've, I've always felt that she was... Uh, you know, she's the kind of person where if you look at her too closely, if you examine her too closely, it all kind of turns ugly. But I think the basic themes, I've always really felt a resonance with, look, if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't understand yourself, if, you don't, if you're not comfortable with yourself, how on earth can you be there for other people? You know, how can you be a parent, uh, the best parent that you can be? How can you be... Uh, uh, the best spouse you can be, and on and on, friend, brother, sister, whatever. You know, how can you do those things uh, un- unless you know who you are, and unless you are uh, comfortable with yourself, and and you take care of yourself? I uh, speaking of my mother again. I'm always yelling at her. You know, why don't you take better care of yourself? Mm-hmm. Oh, I just run out of time because I'm doing this for this and this for your brother and this for your sister and blah blah. blah. For, for your children, you know, her grandchildren, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, look, none of that matters if you're not around. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you're not well, you know, uh, you, you can't do, continue to do any of those things. It's no, always it's, top priority. And people have always called me selfish because of that. And I just don't see it that way. No, no. It's kind of like there's this great quote um, by Alice Miller who wrote the book, The Drama of the Gifted Child. And this, she has this very long quote. And she really uses this one phrase that I use a lot when I speak, which is, the body presents its bill. Eventually, your body will present its bill and say, pay up in whatever area, health or relationship or career, if you ignore it. it, it you cannot ignore your body for long. It, it, and I was, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is that we have this great body-mind connection, but over time, we get disconnected from it and there's, it's a great resource for us, but we tend to ignore it. We just, you know, go about our lives. And what would it be like to have every sense that you possibly could connect to there for you when you needed to make a decision? How powerful would that be? Very holistic. Yes, very holistic and practical. Well, tell us how to do that, please. <laughs> Certainly. Well, the reason I wrote the book was actually because I had so many people coming up to me, you know, as a therapist or when I ran workshops saying to me, you know, I knew it. 
I knew, and it was always after the fact, you guys, it was always after the fact, I knew I shouldn't have fill in the blank, you know, gone on that date or bought that house or taken that job. And I would say, well, how did you know? How, how, how did you know? And they would say, I had this gut feeling. Or, you know, my neck tightened up. It always came back to the body, that there was a body sensation. So I thought, all right, that's, that's the piece that I need to help people with. I need to help them literally wake up their bodies. So I developed all of these exercises that, again, came out of my practice. They're not complicated. Simple exercises having to do with one, for example, having to do with just breathing, you know, connecting to your breath and learning what your breathing has to tell you. But my favorite exercise, which which people can sort of try on tonight, is to remind yourself that you actually know what feels good and what feels bad. And I would have people bring to their mind's eye an image, a a, a picture of something that really they have a a happy association with. You know, like that little puppy or the person you love or that beautiful sunset. And immediately people would be able to do that and they would have an immediate sensation in the body. Right? So when you picture that beautiful sunset, you're not just seeing it with your mind there's a body response as well. And then I'd have them flip to the other side and say, okay, now I want you to picture something that doesn't really feel good, like, you know, that person who fired you or that plate of cold spinach, whatever it is. Bring it up in your mind. And now what do you notice in your body? And very quickly, people would be like, oh, oh, you know, my stomach feels horrible. And I used that exercise as one of the first ones to remind people that they actually do have very strong body opinions about stuff. It's just that they're not being conscious. So that's one of the ways I help people start to get back in touch. You know where I ran across, (laughs) excuse me one second, you know where I ran across, um, actually quite a few of your exercises or at least you know similar things and the theories behind them, uh, and at the time it didn't make that, or I should say, the, at the first time I went through it, it didn't make that much sense to me in terms of, or it wasn't obvious to me. But once you did it, then I, I saw how it all came together, and that was in childbirth classes. Wow, you saw it through the breathing. You saw how people could use like their body signals. Oh, we did all kinds of exercises. We did the Bradley method, which is relatively esoteric, and man, oh man. I've heard people talk about this. It is very much more involved. It's a longer period. It's a much greater commitment uh, than Lamont. I don't know know how esoteric it is, Eric. Uh, My wife and I use the Bradley method as well. Well, it's esoteric compared to uh, people know Lamaze. They know the yeah. name Lamaze. They know even if they don't haven't gone to Lamaze, you know, there's basic the breathing techniques and whatnot, you know. But oh well, okay, that's perfect. If you know Bradley, then you know that there was a lot to it, and it was a major commitment. I can't, it was months, you know. We had to go every week for months, yep. and we were supposed to be doing these exercises in between the weekly meetings. And all of this was being done with the toward the aim of of uh, drug free 
uh, childbirth. That's yeah. ultimately what it comes what, what you're trying to achieve. So and that your your body can can let you know moment by moment what it needs to do. Your wife's body could say okay. Exactly. And That's you exactly and you're the in as well. Parallel. Right. Right. And, so and you don't feel it. the pain as pain. You you know you you're because you've uh, sort of looked into the future and and become comfortable with it. And even though you can't really feel it before you really feel it you right. are, you are able to anticipate it and you do a lot of relaxation techniques and yeah. and you know the the male partner is doing all of these things along with the the female uh, you know for a variety of reasons just uh to, to be there to understand what they're going through to be supportive plus just all these things are much easier to do you know with a partner and then that's the person who's going to be there with you when you're giving birth. So anyway, I, we I, I went through it through, with my very first child. We're talking <laughs> 24 years ago, and and it was uh, you know re- really an eye-opening experience. And then uh, interesting pattern. We did a much shorter, much <laughs> abbreviated version of it the next time uh, with with my first wife. Uh, because I guess just we'd gone through so much the first time, and it was really pretty well ingrained. We found we were already doing some of these things, you know, yeah. a lot of the things on our own, and didn't really need the class as much. Then uh, when I got remarried, same thing. Went through it in great detail and went through the whole routine the first time, and then the second time, uh, you know, less so. But, I mean, we'll, we'll still do some of those techniques, yeah. the relaxation techniques and visualization. I mean, those are helpful for anything and everything, what, whatever you may be doing, you know, sports, um, you know, just business, school, you know, intellectual pursuits, just trying to maximize, try to bring everything together. And, I, I mean, it's really helpful for me, uh, these things, uh, and I should be doing more of them, and I'm really glad, you know, to have run across you, and I'm, I'm going to look – even more closely at the book than I already have, because I, at age 50, I, I really can sense some slippage in areas where, man, I don't want to slip, you know, right. my memory. Uh, and, and, and so I, it's really important to me to stay as sharp as possible forever. I mean, I'm a writer. I'm never going to stop writing. You know, it's not like I'm going to retire at 65. And I got a five-year-old, so, man, I got to be Right, right. <laughs> I have to be useful and vigorous kind of forever, you know. And have all those resources available for you, especially with, you know, what's happening in the world. You know, I, I wanted people to realize that, again, like we talked about at the beginning, you know, if you know yourself and you know what your body, mind, signal, all that information is telling you, you're going to be able to make decisions with clarity, sometimes hard decisions, but with clarity and confidence because you are already tuned in. The, the, the pump is primed, so to speak. So it's like you preparing for that childbirth. You were ready to go. And having that body-mind connection and being aware of all the signals that your bodies can give and, and understanding what they are. I wanted to help people understand what their unique signals were because we all sometimes feel things in the gut but sometimes people feel things very specific to them and if they become something that's familiar you can start to use that information when you have to make tough decisions or decisions that affect your family and yourself really important throughout the book you keep coming back uh, you, you use compass points 
Could yeah. you explain what those are, please? Yeah, I well, it's, it actually came out of, you know, when I would watch people trying to make a decision in my practice, and they would use phrases like, I, I need to I need to find my direction or I need to know which way to go. And I would see that when they landed on the right decision for them, their energy changed. And I would say to them, it looks like you've you've made a decision. They would say, yeah. And I'd say, how do you know it's right? And they'd say, I just have this feeling in my body of calmness or or flow or energy. So it started making me think of a, a regular compass, like a compass that you use to find direction, which uses the Earth's magnetic fields. And I thought, well, that's what people are doing. They're using the feeling in the body to point them in the right direction. And I thought that would be a great way for people to discover things about themselves throughout the book. Interesting, very interesting. I, I think it makes sense. Uh, were, were you relating to actual geographical areas of the body as well? Yes, because there are there are common areas where people feel things. And again, everyone has their unique points, but there were certain areas of the body, you know, the chest, the stomach, the shoulders, the back of the neck, certain parts of the face that I showed, I point out in the book, this is where you might start to feel stuff. This is what I've noticed in my experience as a therapist and teaching this work, where people generally talk about getting sensation. So here's some ways to connect, and then whatever is uniquely yours that shows up later on, you can claim that for yourself. Now, the book is is, uh, centered around a a six-week program? Yeah, I had it as a six-week program where you can wake up the body and then start working on different areas. But Eric, you know, if... If people are pulled toward a certain chapter, they can go for that as well. If one area of their life is flowing really well and things are fine, but their career path is not happening, then go right to that area. I I laid it out as a six-week program, but you certainly can work it individually. By the way, just because people usually do, do you have a website that we can refer people to? Yeah, it's carolward.com. That's Carol with a K. K-A-R-O-L-W-A-R-D.com. And you can go to the website and find the book. And you can also find it by just typing in Find Your Inner Voice on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com as well. It, it comes right up. What, what If people are less amenable to this general sort of way of thinking um, than, say, Philip and I are, because it sounds pretty... It makes perfectly good sense to me, and it's it, it reminds me of things I have known in the past and maybe have forgotten. And these are the kinds of things you need to keep relearning, I think. Um, but how would you present it to someone who who just thought this was all just a bunch of nonsense? I would say first, there's you know a lot of science behind the brain gut connection. There really is. There are neurological pathways that travel from the brain to the gut, all those nerve endings in the stomach. There's studies and research that says there's definitely a passing of sensation and impulses that travel back and forth. But I would I would so there's the science behind it, but I would say to them almost every successful business person I have read about talks about using their gut instinct or people who have overcome great tragedy or overcome great, you know, troubled backgrounds in their lives, 
really talk about often this belief in self that got them through. And if you don't have access to that sense of self, you can find yourself stumbling in life. So if nothing else, certainly during this economical time where things are very stressful, if you want to have the best resource possible to get you through, then you need to learn how to trust yourself. And a way to do that is to trust the body-brain connection. Okay, and what's probably what's what would you say is the most fundamental approach, the most fundamental exercise, or or just method? What would what would be the number one thing that you would suggest to someone if you're doing the uh, the the elevator pitch? Say, I would say shut off all distractions. If you're sitting in your car waiting to pick up your kids, you're riding riding the train, put on your earphones. If you are sitting in your living room couch or sitting in your office. Shut everything off for a while. Close your eyes for five minutes. Breathe in through your nose as deeply as possible and exhale. And see if your energy changes or feels different when you open your eyes after those five minutes. And see and notice if you have more clarity and more energy to face your day. And just try that for five minutes a day to reconnect to your body and what I've seen is that when people give that to themselves, they're able to make better decisions. They're able to face their lives with a great deal of optimism and clarity. It seemed to me that this, these are also really great ways to deal with anger. Um, both my wife and I <laughs> get <Yeah>. angry. We have <laughs> anger issues. And, and uh, you know, so, I mean, if we're both angry at the same time, wow, look out, man. I mean, the kids yeah. just go running, you know? Yeah. And uh, not that we usually direct it at them. It's, it's usually at each other. And uh, so how – I mean, here I am, 50 years old. I still don't – I feel in, in that regard very immature. How do you suggest that people deal with anger? Well, I mean, that's a huge subject. But as a therapist, I would say, you know, and I'm sure you – after you both are angry, I'm hoping, Eric, that, that you then reconnect and – Find out what's going on. Usually anger is a cover for hurt. We feel misunderstood. We feel not seen. But I always say this to people. You know, not everyone needs to necessarily calm down, but what they do need to do is discharge, not necessarily at the other person, but to say, I'm really angry, and I have that feeling coming up, or I know I'm not being totally rational, what is my body telling me, if I were to ask myself, the best way to discharge this anger, get it out so that I can then talk to my wife with a little more calmness? And I share this story in this book about one of my clients who's going through a divorce. Painful, upset, range of emotions. She comes into my therapy office and she says, you know, everyone tells me because I'm, I'm upset that I, that I need to calm down and do yoga. And I said, well, do you want to do that? No. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And she takes like five seconds and closes her eyes, and then her eyes you know, fly open, and she said, I want to go kickboxing. <laughs> I was going to say I, karate. <laughs> exactly. And I said, go for it. And she did. And she, for a while, she went to kickboxing class three nights a week, and it made a difference. So you've got to ask yourself – Sometimes you just don't need to do the things that calm you down in the traditional ways. 
What's your body telling you you want to do? And then it'll it'll change again once you're done with your kickboxing phase. Maybe you'll go into a yoga phase. But the the thing to notice is how do you feel afterwards? If you feel better afterwards, you've chosen the right thing to help you discharge that emotion. And channel it. Yeah, to channel it. To channel it through a way that just feels right for you. And the key thing is, do I feel better afterwards? And if the answer is yes, keep going. If not, try something else. Here's something in the book um, that just absolutely feels right to me. I mean, this just, I, I totally comprehend this without even, um, you know, having to read, although I did then, of course, read it. Uh, <laughs> the concept of your true north, that really makes sense to me. Yes. Because, again, if all your senses are flowing and they are at your availability, you always hear people say, what's my true path? What's my true north? And I really, I really have seen this, Eric, that when people are fully alive in their bodies, and it's a process, you don't get that instantly, but when they are more in tune with what they feel inside and out, they know exactly the direction they want to go in that true north, and they don't then allow other things to clutter their path. So they find the career path, the person. They aim for that true north within themselves, and then they aim it outwardly because they know the direction they want to go in. They trust themselves. And it's just as difficult to to keep reconnecting with it as it is to find it in the first place. That's my problem. I've I've had periods in my life... Um, you know, many of them actually, uh, where I felt like I was absolutely on the right path, I was doing the right thing, I was focused, I was channeled, but then something, you know, you just kind of drift off, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you head off, something gets in the way, something else comes along, you get distracted. Um, how do you reconnect with that? The same ways? You see, the same way by really, it's really consciousness raising, right? In a very practical way. It's about bringing your attention to whatever area of your life that you're feeling sluggish or frustrated about. Because of, usually when things are going well, you know, things are going well. We don't, we don't really, you know, ripple, ripple the surface of the water. It's, things are fine. It's just when we start to feel that restlessness or we feel that irritability in our lives. That's often a a great signal, too. If we're feeling irritable, if we're feeling bored, if we're feeling snappish, that means that some fulfillment isn't happening. So what would it be like to take those five minutes again and shut your eyes and say, you know, what's going on with me? Can I describe it? What comes to mind? Is it a picture? Is it a feeling? What's that feeling saying? And, and and if 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 life were better in and I could imagine it being the best way possible, what would I notice? What would be in my life if things were happening optimally? Would I still be in the same job? Would I still be in the same relationship? Would I still be in the same house? Those are the kinds of questions. It's called the miracle question. If things were exactly the way I wanted them to be, what would be there? And if those things aren't there, how can I bring them in piece by piece? Because I want to make sure that people don't feel like they have to get things right away or immediately because then you won't do any of the exercises. It becomes too overwhelming. But if you took these little tiny steps toward bringing in more joy and happiness and fulfillment and realize that it's a path, oh, 
then people can then people can accept that. A process can. rather than a destination. That's right. The process rather than the destination. That well, as the as part of that process, I suppose people should visit your website and get your book, right? That would be great, Philip. That would be wonderful. That's a great process, yes. Yeah. Well, the website is uh, carolward.com. That's K-A-R-O-L-W-A-R-D.com. And you'll find a link there to buy the book on Amazon, or you can hunt it down at a local bookstore. The book is called Find Your Inner Voice Using Instinct and Intuition Through the Body-Mind Connection. Thanks very much for talking with us about it tonight. Oh, my pleasure to be on the show. Thanks. Great stuff, Carol. Really interesting, and and I think you've uh, I, I think you've uh, dug very well beneath the surface and brought things up that that people you know that are are helpful to one and all. Oh, I appreciate the feedback. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, next week we're going to have a band, indie band, Telling on Trixie on the show. It'll be uh, near the end of South by Southwest at that point. And their new album actually comes out next Tuesday, and we'll have them on the show next Wednesday. So that'll be that'll be fun. I always like talking to a band like the day after their new album comes out. Fun, eh? <laughs> and, and two weeks from now, we'll have an all-new format. So that will be very oh, exciting as well. well. We'll be changing uh, times, and we'll be changing format. Well, I think we'll still be on Wednesday, but... Moving a little bit earlier, and uh, we're going to rearrange the format a bit. So that will be exciting. Yep, we'll have more details at the end of next week's show. Uh, or, of course, you can always check it out, as you can uh, check things out every week, at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Uh, we do broadcast live every Wednesday night uh, or Wednesday evening in the future. Uh, if you visit us live, you can participate in the chat room, watch the live video feed, and uh, if you miss the live broadcast, audio archives are available online, or you can subscribe to the podcast to have BC Radio Live delivered to you each and every week. Uh, that will include uh, the current format episodes, as far as we know, forever, as well as the new format episodes starting in two weeks. So uh, thanks again to Carol Ward and to Barry Liebert from earlier in the show, and thank you, Eric, for hosting and doing the research as usual. And uh, hopefully next week for our, our final show in this format, we'll have uh, Lisa back and feeling better. Absolutely. Uh, until then, aloha, everyone. <laughs>